0: Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good
1: afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm Cheryl White, and I am delighted today to be discussing Invisible No More with a distinguished Circle of Cultural Scholars, Practitioners, and Educators. I'm going to uh, introduce you one by one, starting with Dr. Jackie Leek, lifelong learner. Jackie, pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Susan Maradi. Am I saying your last name correct? That's correct. I am so um, pleased with myself (laughs) 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 for getting it right. (laughs) Licensed uh, mental health counselor. Uh, Dr. Susan, fabulous having you here today as well. Thank you, Dr. Cheryl. <laughs> and then we have Dr. Judy
2: Patoxel.
1: Patoxel. Thank you, Judy. And uh, Dr. Um, Judy is a community leader. We we'll look forward to hearing more about each of these fabulous women in a moment. And Dr. Christine Umali Kopp, cultural psychologist. Welcome, Dr. Christina. Thank you. Dr. Christine. <laughs> All right, so we will just begin with a a rock and roll, having you maybe introduce yourselves to our listening audience so they get a bit of a perspective or say a bit of an understanding of the um, background you bring and uh, your, um, one might say, perspective. So would you just tell us maybe a little about yourself? But in addition to telling us a little bit about yourself, I want you to include your self-identity, how you identify yourself. And Dr. Christine, let's start with you.
3: Thank you Cheryl. Um so first and foremost I think the thing that comes up for me is I'm first generation Filipina. What that means for me is that I'm the first generation born um in the United States from my family. So that's a really important aspect of who I am and a huge part of my identity. Um Filipina also means not just that I'm of Filipino descent but also that I'm a woman. And so that term includes both of those aspects of my identity. Um professionally I actually am a cultural psychologist and community college professor. And I have done some work in the area of um, organization development and diversity, equity and inclusion.
1: Fabulous, Uh, wonderful having you with us today, Dr. Jackie. Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Lee. I'm the daughter of
4: Homer and teen Davis. And um, that is central to my identity. Neither of my parents graduated high school, but they were brilliant and both of them got GEDs and they had really interesting careers where they progressed um, pretty far along for folks that didn't have degrees. And they managed to produce three children. I'm the youngest, but each of us went to college and it was, um, the impetus was from within us. I don't know how they did that. I haven't figured that out yet. But all three of us in order went back to, went and finished college at a point in our careers where it didn't impact that. So we didn't do it for the job. We didn't do it for promotion. We did it for ourselves. And that's an, a really important part of who I am, just remembering and, and trying to honor my parents.
1: Mm, wonderful. Thank you. And, and so we get lifelong learner as your title. Yes.
0: And I
1: think that says a lot. And Dr. Judy, how about yourself?
2: Um, I am the proud daughter of immigrant parents. Um, My father came in the early, um, actually late 1920s, and my mom came in the early 1950s from the Philippines. So I am also a Filipina American, uh, born and raised in San Diego, California. Um, I'm also the partner of a Delano Manong son um, and I can talk more about that perhaps when we uh, as we go on and and the proud mom of a uh, racial son. Um, Professionally I am um, also a professor at a community college. I'm in the role now as faculty equity coordinator. I have also been a leader in the community. I have been the president of the Filipino American National Historical Society for two terms. And I just was recently elected to Palomar College. The first Filipina Asian American to be elected to Palomar College uh,
1: Board. Fabulous, and congratulations. Thank you. And not least, um, and maybe last, we'll see if Dr. Shirley joins us, uh, Susan. Dr. Susan, I'd like for you to introduce yourself.
5: Thank you, I'm Susan Maradi. My maiden name was Greeley. I'm a woman, a widow. I'm a psychotherapist, cultural psychologist, Bostonian. I was raised in an Irish-American Catholic family in Boston, and I'm white. And part of my identity changed over the years because I lived in other cultures, other countries, and especially Ghana and Albania. And I was married to an Albanian man who passed away after twelve years of marriage. Mm-hmm. So that's who I am.
1: Yes. Well, so I'm glad to have you here, Susan. And um, as you say that, I think about uh, you and your husband. Um, so yeah, he was proud uh, to know. He was proud to know all of you. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, my my heart went to you as you um, reflected and I reflected with you. I'm going to ask each of you to just share again how you self-identify and then also um, to share how your identity has impacted your life and or your leadership journey. And Dr. Jackie, let's start with you. Okay. So
4: as I said, the daughter of Homer and Tina, but um, that I'm a black woman and that is a huge piece of my identity. I don't think I could be me and be something other than black woman, Um, which means I embrace the stereotype of the black, the strong black woman, the angry black woman at times, the outspoken and opinionated black woman. And I don't know that those necessarily qualify me as a leader, Um, full disclosure. I don't think I've ever really used that word to describe myself. However, once I look back at, at the things that I've done, um, maybe that applies. And maybe my leadership is about um, inspiring people to be their best selves and mo- trying to motivate them and support them in that process. Um, I'm a wife, a mother, and as Cheryl said, a lifelong learner, But which, which actually turned me into a lifelong teacher as I, I reflect on the things that I've learned and how those have interact interacted with other people, those things I've learned. Um, most important, I think I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist. I don't ever give up. And I got that from my parents um, who basically never gave up and taught me to do the same. If I know I'm right, that's it, I'm not, I can't stop until, you know, until I reach the goal. Um, I think that the professions that I've had have supported me being a lifelong learner, but also a lifelong warrior because I have often been the only one. I was one of the first police women in the New York City Police Department to do patrol and to become a police officer as opposed to a police woman, meaning we had to do the same job. Um, and. As a black woman, that was a very scary position to be in because all I knew was male police officers. And so five foot two, 115 pound me with a big giant gun on my hip. Mm -hmm. I adopted a stance and a walk that mimicked a male because I thought that was the only way to do it. But eventually I learned that I could be me and do the job my way. And that was very different from anything that had happened previously in the police department. It was male, white male dominated actually. And then, then along comes me the warrior, so that changed severely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my entire life has taught me who I am, what I stand for, what's important to me, which is relationships with people, and relationships among groups of people. For me, that's, that's um, it's it's a moral standard for me. And it kind of is the
1: background for all the things that, I'm, that I fight for. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, thank you so much, Dr. Jackie. Dr. Susan, how about yourself?
5: Well, I traced my journey back to when I was in school in Boston and I was in Catholic schools. I was very much influenced by a nun and a priest that were quite progressive in the 1960s and the 1970s and they really alerted me and I became very conscious of racism back in those days and also poverty and the injustices in the world and eventually after college I applied to go in the Peace Corps and I wanted to experience you know what it was like to live in a village in Ghana so I requested to be the only one in a village so I got exactly what I requested and I spent an intense period of time you know living with the people and learning about the culture and then I also later on I had other experiences of living in Washington, D.C., working for the government, and I was friendly with a lot of people from so many different cultures that every every chance I had, it seemed that I was learning about culture from for years, about a 50-year period. And then I went to the CHB program with you in California, and then I had a very different experience because... It wasn't just about knowledge, but it was hearing these intense experiences of my classmates, and it was really a very deep, intense eye-opener to me because I finally got what oppression meant for the first time, and injustice, and it really, you know, hit me very hard, and it was a very deep experience to me, and I didn't really understand about my own type of oppression until by chance i i was in a class and some of you might have been i remember a couple of you were in the class with me where we had to study our own group i came across a story a chapter on irish american psychology and it hit me about my own roots and how the irish were discriminated against and suppressed and then i had a very visceral reaction i broke down crying some of you might remember but it just hit me like an epiphany and i i sort of got what oppression felt like for the first time and then later i experienced it the male oppression that i had in my own family because i was the only one the only girl with three brothers and it was a very domineering type of a family. So I had some experience of oppression. So all this kind of led me to then study the trauma for my dissertation in Albania. I I was out there listening to the trauma of other people. And finally, when I became a therapist, I could finally put it together 20 years ago and I could really be with my clients who had trauma and oppression and so many different experiences because I spent all that time learning about and feeling what, what it was like.
1: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Susan. We are going to take a, a break, but when we come back, uh, Dr. Judy and Dr. Um, Christina, will be looking forward to hearing more from um, each of you with regards to your identity and how it has impacted your life and leadership journey. I'm also hearing the theme of the only one. Um, Jackie, I heard that from you. Dr. Susan, I heard that from you. I want to talk more about that uh, phenomenon. And, um, you know, Dr. Jack, I know you did your dissertation on that. And just that sense of feeling invisible and how do we push through? Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders
0: Leadership Matters is brought to you by Innovisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact Innovisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 619-453-8093. That's 619-453-8093. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is swite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission to enrich lives through a continuum of education and wellness service.
2: Today,
1: expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually
2: pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel.
1: You can find more information at Leadership Forum INC
0: It's time to take charge of your own career path, but how do you get started? First, tune into The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insights from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, and get hired into the career you want and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl White at swhite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Now back to Leadership Matters.
1: And we are back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions today, talking about Invisible no more with a distinguished circle of cultural, um, I would say, culture scholars, practitioners, and fabulous um, educators. I'm going to just toss this ball over to uh, you. Let's say, uh, Dr. Judy, to just share a little bit more about um, your identity and how it has impacted your life and leadership journey.
2: Thank you, Dr. Cheryl. Um, wanted to give a little context the this, this circle of scholars that we are are we're all women from CHB, which stands for Cultural Human Behavior uh, doctoral program. And in terms of um, my identity, identifying as Filipina American as well, um, was very much a part of my, my journey and my, my, my journey in terms of leadership. I, um, I, I, even though I'm the youngest of five and all my siblings went to college and even my father, Went to college. Um, in terms of here in the United States, I'm the only one who finished college. Uh, they each went, uh, but being able to finish my bachelor's and then go on to the master's and then go on to the doctorate program. Um, I was the first in my family in terms of that. And then some of the first and the aspects of invisibility being Filipina, uh, being Asian American, that oftentimes we are, uh, Seen as invisible, or we're not seen, we're not heard. And so, working to be heard and working to be visible has been really important to me. It, I, it's sometimes something I felt like I had to prove. My, my father came here with the purpose of going to graduate school. And um, because of racism and all that had happened, he did not fulfill that reality. And so, for me, it was like being the first in my family to fulfill that reality here was really important. I mean, I had already a position at the community college where I was already at um, professor level. It was like, and there was a point was like, do I need this? <laughs> do I need this degree? And it was, yes, I do. Um, uh, the answer was yes, but there was a point where uh, I'm already a tenured professor. Do, do I need to move on with this? And and, and I felt like it, it, it was important, not only for myself. You know, and as uh, Dr. Jackie had mentioned, it was also to fulfill a family, um, a sense of family obligation. And so in the Filipino-American family, fa- in the Filipino-American culture, family is is very, very much important. And so is so is education. So being in that journey uh, for me, where I have found my spaces and places to be in, whether it be this doctoral program or it be the master's program, being Filipina was was a part of that whole identity. And um, the leadership roles that I've taken has been in part because of who I am and wanting to give voice where a voice was not always present before.
1: Thank you, Dr. Judy. How about yourself, Dr. Christine? Dr. Christine, you are muted. I
3: had a feeling I was gonna end up doing that. (laughs) Um, At some point, I was listening to everyone's narrative and thinking, oh, gosh, which pieces do I pull from for for mine? I I think what what I'll share is I also identify as Filipina, although I don't use Filipina American, but that's a discussion for a different session. Um, I am the first to complete a doctorate. My mom was a first-generation college student, so... I was always told that I would go to school. It wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of what would you major in. A doctor qualified as one of the options that I was given. And my mom didn't realize though that I'm, I guess I was the wrong kind of doctor. <laughs> um, she was thinking more physician. Uh, and so education has always been really important, but I also remember being an only being born in the early seventies and- being the only one without a father and being from an immigrant mom and being an only child and being raised by a mother and a grandmother, it, those were things that really strongly influenced and shaped my life and pushed me to understand my culture because I felt like oftentimes as a child I was in stuck between two worlds. I was not American enough because I'm not white and I'm not Filipino enough because I was not born in the Philippines and I don't I while I understand Tagalog fluently I don't it's choppy when I speak. Uh, so I think that was a struggle that I had in different stages through my life and graduate school really helped me unpack so much of that understanding the deep seated trauma, intergenerational trauma. Um, that has been in my family, that's strongly connected to things like colonization um, and what it meant to leave their home country, my family being the their home country, um, coming to a new place for opportunity, having a great-grandfather who's white from the military that my family never spoke of. These were the things that I think graduate school really helped me unravel and unpack so that I could better understand not only myself and the struggles that I experienced with identity, but also likely what my family had to struggle with that still to this day, they never talked about very freely. So I think those were the main pieces that really shaped me into utilizing my background as a cultural psychologist to do training, um, help with people's personal growth and awareness, and ultimately led to me becoming an educator because I never would have thought that would have (laughs) happened. If you told my fifteen year old twenty year old self that I would have been a professor, I would have laughed. Mm-hmm. But nothing feels more rewarding than being able to provide an opportunity for students to have that awakening that I did.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: so my hope is in, in that world, I'm able to do that
1: mm-hmm. so Dr. Christina, you don't have to go here if you don't want, but i'm that i'm I'm wondering. Um, you started off with the distinction of um, Filipina and not Filipina America American. Um, do you want to elaborate on that?
3: I mean, I can in, in a short mm-hmm.
1: version. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. um, for me, American is. I have such mixed feeling mixed feelings about the word American. Uh, even to this day, I'm going to be 51 years old this year. Um, I feel in many ways, American still doesn't include me. And so I see myself as a Filipina in the United States. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: I know I'm Filipina American. I know that I have that consciousness, but I feel like when I say Filipina, that really describes who I am. The term American doesn't because people don't think of me Mm -hmm. as American. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that word still doesn't include me completely hmm I appreciate
1: your um, elaborating on that. Um, I think um, each of you have talked a little bit about what it was like, or really having had an experience, not so much what it was like, but having had an experience of being the only one, uh, feeling invisible. Um, and then I know that part of the journey can sometimes include microaggressions. I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Christine to just share what a microaggression is and then on the other side of the break I'd like to kind of hear from each of you what that experience was like for you um, as relates to any experience where you might have felt invisible or experienced a microaggression um, or just experienced being the only one and what really helped you persevere uh, through it but Dr. Christine I want to ask you to talk about microaggressions first.
3: So I wanted to pull from a, an article, and one of the main authors of this article is Dr. Wing Su. He's one of the first individuals mm-hmm. that actually started talking about and researching microaggressions. So this article specifically is about racial microaggressions, but as they described it in this article, they are brief and commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, and environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative racial slights, and insults to the target person or group. So these are really things that can be quite subtle that I would say, oftentimes we, say, we might think to ourselves, did that person just say that? It might take a little bit of time for it to settle and for us to realize what's happened because they can be so subtle. It's not like those in-your-face instances where there's something prejudiced or derogatory or discriminatory said or done. But they're they can be very subtle, almost to the point where one might question did it even really happen. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Anyone want to share an example of a microaggression, or elaborate on the uh, fabulous um, definition, the clear definition that Dr. Christine provided? Anyone want to elaborate further on that, or just share an example of a microaggression?
2: For me, um, I'm I think about when I first. Um, went into a tenure-track position uh, at the community college. I used to work at San Diego State University, and then I um, got a tenure-track position at the college that I currently work at, Miramar. And when I got the position, um, I didn't have direct community college other than my undergrad experience. But when I got the position, I was told to my face, oh, I heard it was just going to be a diversity hire. Uh And I said, excuse me <laughs> um, um and i can after the break can kind of say what i said in response
1: yeah okay we will look forward to hearing what your response was and dr uh, jackie i saw you motion that you might was we going to respond to that as well so please stay with us we'll be right back hear more from dr judy with regards to her response jackie's experience and then really talk about you know how one might persevere fortify themselves be victorious, and also be an ally um, when dealing with uh, people who may be um, coming from um, a variety of different backgrounds and life experiences. So stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions.
0: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by Innovisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact Innovisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 619-453-8093. That's 619-453-8093. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is swite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission to enrich lives through a continuum of education and wellness service.
4: Trends in global business are changing all the time. It used to only be worrying about your competitor across the street, but now that competitor may be across the world. On Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, we discuss the trends in global business, plus issues and solutions that business leaders face today. Each show is guaranteed to teach you something that you didn't know before about global business. Listen live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl White at swhite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters.
1: And we are back with more on Leadership Matters. Today, talking about Invisible No More. Uh, Dr. Judy, I'm gonna throw it back over to you to hear how you responded to the uh, microaggression
2: you discussed prior to the break. Thank you, Dr. Cheryl. As I said, I said, excuse me. And um, I said, you know, I have experience. I have higher education experience. I have a license because I also have been a licensed marriage family therapist. So I have a professional license in counseling. I mean, I went through the list of why I got the position. Position. It wasn't just because, quote unquote, I was a diversity hire, um, although they did need. I mean, it was an all-white department before I came, came on board. There was two women of color that got, got hired together. And so I think in terms of, in regards to what do we do when those things happen, I, being able to stand up and speak up um, mm-hmm. at that moment was important. Mm-hmm. Wonderful.
1: I love that, being able to stand up and speak up
2: at that moment. Thank you, Dr. Judy.
1: How about yourself, Dr. Jackie?
4: Um, Well, as I mentioned briefly before, I was in the first class of New York City police women who were re-sworn in the next day as police officers. And the reaction of the males in the police department, one might imagine, was not very welcoming. There were several remarks made like, well, at least you can get our coffee, or now I got to watch my back and hers as if I would not be competent of doing the job and that I'd be really good at making coffee or picking up coffee mm-hmm. for the folks there. Um, and um, I had, a well, those are fighting words to me. So <laughs> it, <laughs> I immediately got a reputation as a rebel and disagreeable, etc. And not only the men cops, but their wives mm-hmm. came for us. Because there was this there was a, 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 a general belief that women could not do the job of police officers. And so it wasn't even that I was a black woman, is that I was a woman period. And so there were several other women in the class with me, and they were having that same experience all across New York City back then. and it took quite a while for folks, the, 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 the people who were reporting crimes to even accept us as police officers with the full responsibilities and the gun. Um, they found it really hard to believe and to just trust that we would be able to handle the job. And I do acknowledge we did the job very differently. Mm-hmm. I think at that point better because we didn't come in looking for a fight. I admit I threatened a few, but most of the time we were looking for a peaceful solution unless that was
1: unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, thank you, Dr. Jackie. Dr. Susan, how about yourself? I'm going to ask you just to share a, a little about your experience and how you uh, persevered.
5: Well, I, I think that I always just pushed myself to be independent. That was the way that I chose to make my own decisions about my own life. I was in several several different circumstances where I was the only one in my family and in some jobs I had and in my husband's family in Albania and also it had to do with the language difference but I chose to think about today I thought about when I was the only white person in a village in Ghana and it was The knowledge that I was different from everybody, but it was such a caring environment. It was a very different kind of a sense of being different. When I was alone at night in my apartment, it was a small compound house, no electricity, no running water. The neighbors used to send their children to me at night and they'd sit around and we'd chat They didn't want me to be lonely. And when I ran out of rainwater in my barrel, sometimes people would come or send their kids with a bucket of water on their head and give me water. Or if they saw me washing my clothes in a bucket by hand, they'd send their kids. They were always sending their kids and they weren't looking for anything. They weren't looking to be paid. They were just being kind to me and they connected to me. And there was a word that they used Traditionally in Ghana, because they had been colonized by many different groups, especially the British, they used to call white people Bruni, oh Bruni. And so sometimes when I was walking to school to teach, I'd hear somebody say, oh Bruni. And then sometimes the farmers would call out, oh Bruni, mepewati. And it meant, white lady, I love you. Do you hear? And it was just such a nice connection for me. I had never experienced in my life being connected to people who were strangers. And so it's kind of an opposite experience because I was very visible, but yet I was so cared for and when we were in school we learned about collectivist versus individualistic cultures and honestly i i felt that connection because i was living in a collectivist culture for the first time in
1: my life it fundamentally changed me as a person Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wonderful thank you for sharing that experience and it's so powerful just to hear how although you were the only one in that space in that village you felt a sense of belongingness because of the kindness and the love that was extended to you.
3: Uh, thank you so
1: much for sharing. Well, uh, doc, let's see. I'm going to throw it over to uh, Dr. Judy. Let's hear a little bit more with regards to maybe uh, if you wanted to add to your experience and how you persevered.
2: Um, having circles of support like the one we have. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, the, the culture and human behavior women warriors that we are that we we connect on a regular basis i think having circles of support is really important mm-hmm. yes uh, and, and being able to make sure you connect that i connected with allies people who i knew um understood um who i was and what i stood for and also stood up for me and along those lines i think is really important um Coming from um, a background of being a therapist, going to therapy, I think is also really important. Being able to to be in a place of support within that setting, I think it is important. Um, but but also the piece of being able to stand up, you know, speak up and stand up uh, to not be afraid, even though sometimes it can be intimidating, um, to to really work hard to to um, to articulate that voice then. That needs to be heard. And then the whole thing about, you know, representation, representation matters. So being able to be in that space to to represent without necessarily feeling the burden, but also feeling the benefit of making a difference and making an impact. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you, Dr. Judy. And Dr. Christine, how about your your journey, your experience, and how you persevered? I
3: have
1: an I I guess, relatively
3: recent experience um, in the workplace. And this is how microaggressions have manifested in my life off and on. I remember writing an email to um, someone who was more of a supervisorial position, uh, administration um, at at my school. And I, uh, those of you who know me and all of you here know me. Um, I'm very straightforward. Well, this person took my email and called me unprofessional, rude, um, th- 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 things along those lines. And I remember having someone else read that, not just my partner at home, but um, a professional, actually an attorney who read it. And that person said to me, I have no idea why this would be described in this way and I remember thinking okay so which one is it this time is it because I'm Filipino or is it because I'm you know which part of the Filipina is it because of the Filipina descent part or is it because I'm a woman or is it a combination of the two that I experienced these kinds of messages how I deal with it is I know who I am I'm also you know in midlife now and it's taken a while to get there But one of the ways that I've been able to get there is, as Judy said, getting support from circles of people who see me for exactly who I am and still like me Mm -hmm. and affirm my experience. I don't have to explain it. I think another really big lesson for me through grad school is getting support from oftentimes people who don't look like me, if you will, that someone doesn't have to look like me for them to get it, for them Mm -hmm. to understand and to empathize and feel it with me. Mm. Along with all the other pieces that Judy mentioned, I think the other piece is learning how to stand in my own truth unapologetically, so that if I'm grounded in who I am, then the noise that's outside, I, I, can, I can withstand that, even if I shouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. So it, it's having that support from people who love me, that is unconditional, having a sounding board in individuals who understand where I'm coming from, no matter whether or not we share a, a same background or similar background um, and just knowing who I am and standing in that truth and, and not wavering. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you, Dr. Christine. And Dr. Jackie, it looks like we might have a moment or two. I'll, um, I'll ask you to put a comma if we need to go to break, but I'll just have you maybe reflect back. I don't know if there was anything you wanted to add with regards to how you persevered. You're on mute, Jackie. Okay, sorry.
4: Um, as you mentioned, I did a dissertation on, the title was The Only X in a, the Only X, no, Only O in a group of XYZs, I'm sorry. And it talks about that exact experience. When you are the only one, how do you handle that? One is to share, if you can, with a sympathetic or a group of sympathetic listeners, someone who is interested in you not because not because you're different, well, because you are different and wanting to understand the differences and what that means for you. That can be very comforting and it's also affirming. If you can talk about what it's like to be you in this situation where everybody else is different, if you can share that and have someone who can reflect that back to you, who can who really shows and and that they understand. you're saying and that they're making an effort to stand in your shoes that is really a validating thing and um i think for all of us to be understood to be heard i think several of us have mentioned being seen is a recognition that as a human being you're unique and it's important your uniqueness is important and I think that if we can manage to do that in a situation where we start off feeling alone or lonely and, and distant, when you can share yourself and have that received openly, it allows the group to begin to reflect who you are and it allows you to feel that you belong.
1: Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Jackie. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask um, maybe each of you to share a little bit about what can a person do to really be active in helping someone who's being mistreated or being undervalued in a group what might be if you have any strategies and then just a final thought so stay with us be right back with more on leadership matters informing leaders inspiring
0: solutions the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network Leadership Matters is brought to you by Innovisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact Innovisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 619-453-8093. That's 619-453-8093. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is swite at neighborhoodhouse.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission to enrich lives through a continuum of education and wellness service. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl White at swite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Now back to Leadership Matters.
1: And we are back with more on Leadership Matters today, talking about Invisible No More. Each of these fabulous women have doctorates in the um, field of psychology, and I've referenced each of them um, as doctor because I know what that journey was like uh, for for each of you, and I want to um, respect that you've achieved the highest level of educational uh, accomplishment in your field, so I... um, I say doctor to each of you, and that is why I do so because I know it was not a um, an easy journey, and I uh, congratulate each of you, and just want to honor uh, your accomplishment. In doing so, I want to also ask you to just um, give some thought to and just share what can others do. We talk about people being allies, you know, being those who will be friends, be supporters, helpers. What can others do to really help someone actively when they've observed someone being mistreated or devalued in a group? Uh, Dr. Judy, I'll start with you.
2: Thank you, Dr. Cheryl, And thank you for being on that journey with us as we worked on our doctorates together. Um, I think one of the things that's impo- important, One of the, this is May is also Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. I think employee resource groups are really important. So one of the things that um, that I did at my college was to work on starting that last May. And then this May, we, we did a, a recognition uh, ceremony for people, um, for the students, first and foremost, who are graduating, transferring, or getting certificates. But also, we included employees, a, a time for employees to be recognized in their achievements so that they know that... I think it's important to have a community um, in in order to address some of these times, and and to have a place where, again, we've talked about it in terms of feeling supported. Um, and I think within that community as well, we can instead of calling out people because sometimes you know people get too defensive when they're called out, but to to work on also calling in and and to um, address. The, the mistreatment. I, I can give one example of um, an, uh, someone who, who just got, there's two AAPI women in the circle at, at my college who are not tenured. And the way they were mistreated this last four years, um, I, I one of them, I said, you know, I'll go to the president and college president and speak up. And she was like, no, wait until I get tenure. So I respected that. She's tenured now, so I'm ready. To, <laughs> I'm ready to kind of go speak up about this particular person who has has mistreated her. Mm
1: -hmm. Thank you so much, Dr. Judy. And Dr. Christine, your thoughts?
3: So I think it's individually providing support in that when someone needs an ear to be that ear, to listen with as much empathy as possible, to make sure that they feel believe that I'm really listening to their story and what they've gone through and the impact that it's had on them. The other piece is what Judy was saying at the end there, being an advocate for so speaking out for those who can't speak out for themselves, maybe because they don't have tenure or maybe because they feel they're not present in the moment or maybe because um, they don't feel ready to or safe to do so. So finding ways to advocate. And I would I feel like the last piece is really providing a safe place for people to go to, whatever that might look like. If, and and how, having them understand, if we're talking about organizationally, what are their rights? Mm-hmm. So being able to explore those two things, I think, is really important. And to be able to do that, um, again, in a safe
1: place or with someone where they feel a sense of safety is critical. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Christine. And how about yourself, Dr. Jackie?
4: Well, I think it's important for me not to assume that I know how somebody else feels. I might think they are um, being discriminated against, but maybe they're not feeling that. Um, So the first thing for me would be just to open the door to say, how are you feeling? You know, you're new or you just got here. How is this feeling? You, and just listen to what it is they have to say, and just allow them to, to, hopefully, to know that I am a safe space, and that I'm going to hear them, and I'm going to be able to handle their experience as the, and you know, and receive it as they're giving it to me, and honor the fact that that is a gift for someone to trust you with those kinds of feelings particularly if you're new in an organization. So I think that's, for me, that's the most important part to extend
1: an open hand to their reality and hope that they're able to reach for it. Thank you so much, Dr. Jackie. And Dr. Susan?
5: Well, I believe that when a person takes some action and speaks up, they're speaking up for not only for themselves, but for their parents, their grandparents, their ancestors who went before them. And that's very important because we know many stories of what happened to our ancestors and our grandparents and how they endured. So when you choose to tackle something, you can think of doing it not only for yourself, but for everybody that went before you. And also, I believe very much in helping people to try to develop, to try to identify what are their core values? What's important to them in life? What are their cultural strengths? What are the strengths of anything that has helped their culture to persevere and you can find that in so many ways particular strengths of every different culture and rely on those things and also i like to give positive feedback to people if i know them a little bit i try to look deeply into their accomplishments and some things i recognize about them and to just give it to them to to acknowledge what they are in this world. And that seems to be very helpful to people when they're acknowledged. Mm
1: -hmm. Thank you, appreciate that um, so much, uh, Dr. Susan. I just appreciate each of you as fellow sisters, cultural psychologists, scholars, and colleagues um, on this wonderful journey. And so, thank you so much for joining us today. Anyone want to give contact information to our listening audience? I will make sure that I uh, collect your bios and have your bios posted too. You can um, place them there and, and make sure that from the announcement, each of you can be uh, searched. So, if someone wants to connect with you, um, they'll have an opportunity to do so. so um,
3: i like- on Instagram. Yeah. I'm at at Dr. Umali Kopp, so D-R-U-M as in Mary, A-L-I-K-O,
1: and two P's as in Peter. Awesome. Anyone else?
2: Uh, You can connect with me through two colleges, either Palomar College or Miramar College. And my last name is spelled P-A-T-A-C-S-I-L. First name is Judy. Thank you for this opportunity, Dr. Cheryl.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Just yeah. a, a, It's been a pleasure and a joy. And I say, I'll make sure I get your bios. And um, so those who did not give their contact, others can Google and try to connect with you as well. So I want to thank you again for being with us. And thank you to our listening audience. Please join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time or download our podcast at your convenience on demand. Until next time, keep on keeping on. Informing leaders, inspiring solutions.
0: Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter.